Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Vast, ominous, mythical, the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle, one of the greatest mysteries of our time. Get the life jacket! Popularized in Hollywood. Why is it getting any better? It's getting worse! Driving that mystery, stories like the Lost Squadron, five U.S. Navy aircraft that vanished over the Triangle in 1945. We're in the Bermuda Triangle. Yes, you are presently in the Bermuda Triangle. I head into the depths with scientist Dr. Philip Ruja, Bermuda's custodian of historic shipwrecks. So we're headed out to the Western Blue Cut. If you want to call it a mystery, there are, seem to be spots around Bermuda where you get two, three, or four shipwrecks, one on top of the other. Greetings, Hushtillians. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. As always, we're joined by our favorite admiral of the seven seas, Mr. Slick Frank Sanders. Insert a little foghorn there, Slick Frank Sanders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the new foghorn. Oh, yeah. Imagine sailing the seas like that. <laughs> We're coming into port, Admiral. Sound the horn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In this installment, we try to solve the mysteries of some of the world's most paranormal hotspots, which are all vast triangle-shaped spaces. Kind of like this show, just three sides. Oh. To a mystery. Look at the parallels. <laughs> First exploring two triangles of land in Nevada and Alaska where strange sightings of craft, orbs, creatures, strange weather, and even portals have been witnessed. We also seek two by sea with the Pacific Dragons Triangle and the most famous of all, the Bermuda Triangle, both of which have had ship and aircraft disappearances as well as loss of life. But before we hoist the anchor and push off, be sure to follow us on all our social medias. Obviously, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Lest we forget our Twitch and our Discord channel, where we will soon be starting our X-Files watch parties as we opened up our Patreon and said, you know what, not only patrons get to join in and watch 300 episodes of the X-Files, but... Let's have everybody join. Let's let's everybody get in there and watch Fox Mulder smolder. Why is there a hole in your popcorn? <laughs> also, check out the official website for the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, www.hushhushsociety.com. There you can find all of our audio, our debriefings, declassified discussions, cryptic chronicles. You can purchase merchandise. You can read some news read some blogs, and have the ability to drop that ever-coveted review, you can leave us a rating on Spotify. 
Hushlings, become a patron today. A donation of $5 a month will make you a true Hushling in its purest form. You'll get access to exclusive debriefings, new steamy Mystery Mike's Cryptid Erotica, as well as monthly installments of The Frank Factor with myself and Declassified Dave, as well as exclusive merch drops and early releases. Join at www.patreon.com slash hushhussociety. Just a quick note before we jump into the episode, those of you that reached out to us to get some free stickers, we hope that you enjoyed your little stickies and you put them all (laughs) over things. Thanks for shouting us out on the social medias. We really enjoy it. Thank you to our new patrons that have joined. You guys are killing it. Just a quick thank you before we dive right in. Splash. Well, let's start this circumnavigational journey, my fellow helmsmen. Let's start with the Dragon's Triangle, also known as the Devil's Sea, the Devil's Triangle, the Formosa Triangle, and the Pacific Bermuda Triangle. It's a region in the Pacific South of Tokyo. Love Tokyo. Can't wait to go to Japan. The size varies from account to account, and it is considered a paranormal location. The Japanese word Manoumi is translated as Devil's Sea troublesome sea or even dangerous sea and has been used to describe the dangerous marine locations throughout the globe also japan being an island nation has a deep history of understanding vast portions of open sea that could likely be the areas described some accounts dating far back in history kublai khan Genghis Khan's grandson attempted to make advances into Japan in both 1274 and 1281 AD. However, he failed to invade the country on both occasions after losing his vessels and about 40,000 crew members aboard in this triangular area, allegedly due to typhoons. There were multiple accounts in the 1800s as well. In August of 1945, a Mitsubishi Zero supposedly went missing. A distressed radio transmission from the pilot, Shiro Kawamoto, was crossing the triangle, vanishing forever. The last thing his message said was, quote, Something is happening in the sky. The sky is opening up. In 1974, author Charles Berlitz introduced the Devil's Sea in his book, The Bermuda Triangle, where he claimed that nine modern ships and several hundred crews were lost without traces between 1950 and 1954. He continues to say that on September 4th in 1952, the Japanese government sent the vessel Kayomoro No. 5 to the sea to investigate unexplained ship losses, but this ship vanished as well. Okay, can we take a beat here? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to Bermuda Triangle especially, or any of these sea triangles, my first thought has always been it's a mysterious sinking of ships or airplanes going down, but realistically, couldn't that just just fucking happen like boats go down all the time it's the frequency in that small area that that's eyebrow raising you know like you said the density of it how many more maritime accidents happen in the open seas dead middle of the atlantic dead middle of the pacific but could it possibly be just those spots having rougher seas due to like underground geography or currents or yeah whatever it could be just those specific areas being like a crappy place like a really bad highway spot that always has frequent accidents that is true for the boats that might work but how does that affect aircraft that's the question mermaids with grenade launchers (laughs) of course of course why did i not think of that (laughs) 
Did you guys see in the news that some guy got raided 300 feet from a middle school in Riverside, California, and he had two fucking bazookas? <laughs> he was getting ready for that uh, Ukrainian-Russian war. Yeah, yeah, for they were real. like they were like 1990s bazookas, man. This dude was ready to go. You can get those on the cheap. Oh yeah, dude, I buy bazookas by the dozen. <laughs> Ever since the incident, Japanese authorities have labeled the seas a danger zone. And on January 4th of 1955, the ship Shinyo Maru number 10 lost radio contact near Makurajima. Fortunately for them, the ship was found safe on January 15th. There are some natural explanations that could be the cause of such anomalies in the Dragon's Triangle. And one of these explanations is the vast field of methane hydrates present in the bottom of the ocean in the Dragon's Triangle area. Methane hydrate gas will essentially explode when it rises above 64 degrees Fahrenheit. The methane hydrate gas breaks off from the bottom and it rises. It forms bubbles on the way to the surface. Just like a fart. Yep. Exactly. Like a fart in a tub. <laughs> earth fart, earth fart. <laughs> and then, obviously, when the bubbles hit the surface, it erupts. The amount of bubbles surely can interrupt buoyancy and can easily sink a vessel, leaving no trace of debris. But really? Like uh, a massive ship? What about a massive ship? Like a container I ship. Think not. Yeah. Not. Well, think about it. How big are these... What about the Titanic? Yeah. Oh, didn't we talk about methane hydrate in the Titanic? Did we talk about bubbles? I mean, it, it obviously sunk because it got ripped the fuck open. <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever it was got ripped open. It was definitely the Germans. The Germans, yeah. You'd have to have a lot of bubbles to sink a container ship all at once. Or just a few really large... Just massive... <laughs> it'd have to be like a rolling boil. And it'd have to be a lot. Uh, I, I Essentially, I mean, I'm sure if it, the eruption is large enough, it could probably take down definitely like a sailboat. Maybe Neptune is making pasta. Mm, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're so creative today. Yeah. The boiling water, Neptune. Oh, pasta. wow. Right over my head, man. Or they're just mermaid farts. Why does it have to be earth methane? Why can't it be like mermaid methane? It's a city of mermaids. They have their own methane <laughs> issue under the sea with their cows. <laughs> Instead of cow farms, they have manatee farms, and it's just their farts are the same problem. We have to stop relying on seahorses. <laughs> the methane gas is building up. It's killing us. <laughs> release the bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> release the bubbles. Every time they release the bubbles, this giant ship, bonk, hits the ground. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell? It's raining ships again. <laughs> Treasure from the gods? Yeah, yeah. They're pleased. This ship was filled with iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming from Japan. That's where all the PS5s are going. I was going to say all the PS5s <laughs> in the world are at the bottom of the ocean. Another explanation for this phenomenon could be the undersea volcanoes, which appear in SpongeBob quite frequently, that are very common in this area. It's quite characteristic for small islands in the Dragon's Triangle to frequently disappear and new islands appear due to it being on the Ring of Fire. Not the Johnny Cash song, but geography. The Ring of Fire is huge, but is it real? What do you mean, is it real? If we're flat, is it real? Yeah. Because the ocean still exists. It's the, the hot diarrhea of the large turtle that's carrying us around. <laughs> Just that fucking massive tortoise. Shouldn't have had that Taco Bell last night. <laughs> <laughs> Look, new islands are forming. 
get it. We're just parasites on a giant turtle. Yeah, that's all we are. I mean, we're parasites either way. Ultimately, these explanations were the cause of the disappearances of those nine vessels that Burlitz mentioned, eight of which were small fishing vessels with no radios. So what do they use in echolocation? See, I could see the small boats Mm -hmm. catching some sort of, like we said, some sort of methane bubble or rough tides. That's easily explainable. Yeah, large swells could definitely take a small fishing boat. But those massive ships that are made for that weather, especially when you're talking about container ships like we were mentioning. Yeah. Container ships, how often do those go down? We get into one of them that was pretty recent later on in the episode. 2018, I believe. I know that container ships can get caught in canals. (laughs) Stop supply chains. Maybe that's what's happening right now, and they just don't want to admit it happened again. (laughs) Well, another shipping container blocks all the canals in the world. (laughs) Looking at a map, the Dragon's Triangle is in kind of more or less the Philippine Sea area of the island of Japan. So it's really southern. But if you look at a satellite image of under the water on Google Earth, the entire triangle, you can see it as ridges and definitely tectonic areas. So are we seeing maybe tidal wave type movement, tsunami type movement in the middle of the ocean? Kind of like what happened, was it Sri Lanka? The one in Christmas that happened in 2004, I think. The, the explanation for that was a major earthquake underwater that caused that. Could there be rogue waves that are catching these giant container ships? Unfathomable sized waves. Look at what happened with Fukushima. That was an underwater earthquake. When a wave swell really builds up, if you think closer to the shore... Yeah. When a wave really starts to build up, the water is pulled away from the shore. So the water recedes before it builds up the crest of the wave. If something similar is happening in the middle of the ocean, let's say that there is a big swell that's happening in the middle of the ocean, and you do have this kind of pulling away to build that crest, is it possible that maybe these boats are also being pulled into this crest as it's pulling away, and maybe going nose first into the water, and then eventually being just sucked up by this huge wave? I see exactly what you're saying. If you take a container-sized ship and it's going in rough seas, when you're watching waves breaking on the shoreline, it's different when you're talking about 40-foot swells. The seas are moving up and down ebb and flow at 40 feet in both directions. If it's a large enough wave, a 100-foot swell or something like that, that's really rough and indirect and it's all over the place and nose in, boom. And you've seen those videos of ships. Oh, yeah, those are horrific. And you see the front end of them. They dip down. Before, obviously, you know, they crash through that wave and come back up, but with a large enough deficit beneath them. Well, let's move on to a triangle that's over land. Different circumstances. Let's talk about the Nevada Triangle. It's located in the region of the Sierra Nevada Mountains in Nevada and California, and in this remotely populated area, more than 25,000 square miles of desert. Damn. So it's fluid, just in a different way. Sand and dirt. Over the last 60 years, over 2,000 planes have been lost, and many crash sites have never been discovered. Not only do planes go missing, but people vanish too. People I could understand. Yeah, it's a big area, rugged landscape. For some odd reason, let's say you're lost out in the middle of that desert. You don't have water, you don't have food, water especially. Three days, you're dead without water. Even worse when it's in freezing temperatures. That triangle extends from Las Vegas, Nevada, to the southeast of Fresno, California in the west, and ends in Rideau, Nevada at the top. The mysterious Area 51 is located within this rugged landscape. 
Oh, Area 51 mm. is in the triangle? Huh? And there's the big bombing ranges for those fake nukes that they were setting off. Shout out J-Rod. J-Rod? Has there ever been a Janet Airlines crash? Oh, that's a good question. Would they say if there was? No. No. Definitely not. So maybe there has been. If that had happened, those people never existed. Nope. Their families would get a $1,000 coupon to the local stop and shop. To Costco. <laughs> Here's a lifetime Costco membership. $1,500 in Sony rebates. <laughs> what? And a 1994 Pinto for your youngest son. We appreciate your husband's service. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. Don't talk about this or we'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> now sign this NDA. On December 5th of 1943, a B-24 bomber piloted by 2nd Lieutenant Willis Turvey and co-piloted by 2nd Lieutenant Robert M. Hester took off from Fresno, California on a routine night training mission destined for Bakersfield, California, and then to Tucson to return. It went down in the Sierra Nevada mountains. The next day, nine B-24 bombers were dispatched to search for the missing plane. However, instead of being discovered, yet another bomber went missing. Oh, shit. That sucks, right? They're like, damn it, we gotta give out more coupons. <laughs> shit. These Costco memberships are not cheap. <laughs> yeah, these things are fucking adding up. Of the downed aircraft, Captain William Dard experienced high wind turbulence and began to lose hydraulic pressure. Two crew members from this crash survived, but his airplane and the remaining crew were not seen until Huntington Lake Reservoir was drained for dam repairs in 1955. Wow. So 12 years, it was underwater, but two people survived. Two crew members survived, but the captain and the rest of them died and ended up in the water. Apparently when they were losing pressure, this captain told his crew to ditch and two guys managed to jump with their parachutes, but the remaining guys didn't get out in time. And they said in their account that they watched this plane hit the water, which is interesting because they couldn't find it, but they told them that it hit the water, but it might've taken some time for them to be found. Or they knew exactly where it was, but they didn't have the means to drag it up. True, yeah. I haven't even looked up where Huntington Lake is. Because if you imagine it's out in the Sierra Mountains, in that whole mountain range, it's probably hard to get some sort of equipment out there to dredge up an entire bomber. True. It's like 50 miles south of Mammoth Lakes. Could you imagine that? That must be wild. Your husband died in this plane crash, but we know where he is, so if you want to go say hi to him, <laughs> just go sit by this dam. Hey, it's a beautiful place to die. The Pinto we supplied your family should be able to cover the <laughs> Researchers from the United States Geological Survey discovered airplane wreckage in and near an unnamed lake in a remote location of the high Sierra West of Lacante Canyon in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks in July of 1960. Army investigators later determined that the wreckage belonged to the first missing bomber, which was piloted by Turvey and Hester. Since then, the lake has been named Hester Lake. Oh, that's nice. Oh, uh, very thoughtful. Yeah, that's nice. I wonder very how thoughtful. far away they are from each other. That's the thing. The two planes? No, the two lakes. The reservoir and Hester Lake. Quite far. Quite far, but still within this triangle. Yes. Hmm. This triangle sits along the edge of the Sierra Nevada mountains. So we have two similarities here from both triangles at the moment. That underwater mountains for the Dragon's Triangle and tectonic areas, which mountains would be the same, or volcanic, 
Another military plane went missing on May 9th in 1957 when Air Force Lieutenant David Steves was piloting a T-33 training jet. 54 days later, the pilot reappeared. What? Damn. What? So he just took that jet out and they didn't see him for two months? So what did he just <sighs> land it? He must have crashed. Lieutenant Leonard C. Lydon parachuted to safety after his P-40 crashed over the mountains in 1941 in the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. The wreckage has never been discovered. I can understand a small plane, mm. like a P-40, just crashing and you can't find it. It's just, it's forest. But a bomber? Now I'm sure if an aircraft goes down, they know exactly where that thing is. Unless it's a Malaysian airline. Oh, boy. Charles Ogle, a wealthy real estate developer who took off from Oakland, California in 1964, disappeared en route to Las Vegas, Nevada, never to be seen or heard from again, and his plane was never found. What the hell is going on? He probably had the best weekend planned, yo. Wealthy guy who was like, I'm going to hit the cramps tables. Yep. Mm, Mr. Ogle, your private jet is properly fueled. Ready to drop a <laughs> milli. He dropped something. <laughs> dropped the whole damn plane. Also, Major Ross Mulher crashed an F-117 into a mountain near Bakersfield, California on July 11th in 1986. The cause of the crash was never officially disclosed, probably because that's millions of American tax dollars that this guy crashed into a fucking mountain. <laughs> Truth. Truth. The crashes of the planes that go into mountains, I could kind of understand, especially with an F-117 that's a jet. Maybe you're doing training exercises or anything like that. You lose control of the throttle or a mountain range that you didn't know was there is there. That happens. I could see that happening. But some of these accounts, especially the account with David Steves, where he went missing for 54 days, that to me is wild. And that's kind of reminiscent of alien abductions. Yeah. We're looking at this Nevada Triangle, and as we said, Area 51 is within that triangle. I started thinking of this, uh, is it possible that Area 51 is obviously not the only base or the only black site that exists within this triangle? Oh, I'm sure there's definitely more. There's more military bases. So what I'm getting at. Let's say that there's an Area 52. It exists within this triangle, and you have these airline pilots, whether they be military, whether they be commercial, whatever it may be. They're flying. They see this base, a base that they're not supposed to see. They're not supposed to be flying over. It's just like Area 51. If you fly over Area 51, they're going to try to shoot you down because there's no fly zone. Let's say that you have this site that is off the books and you have these planes that are flying over it and the government goes and shoots down its own fucking plane and then the wreckage isn't found because they clean up the wreckage. I can see that. I think that's really likely, actually, yeah. And of course, depending on where the plane went down or where you are in this triangle, there's not going to be signs of the wreckage. There's not going to be signs of tire tracks or anything like that because wind would blow across and the tracks would be lost in it. And nobody knows for sure where these planes went down in the first place. So it's not like they're looking and there's enough time that goes by that the land corrodes and blows away any remnants of what's left of that crash. There's also, on the western edge of the Triangle, it's the Sierra Nevada Mountains. So it's just rugged, almost inaccessible in certain areas. You have that, and then a vast portion of this Triangle is in desert, which is more accessible. Definitely more accessible, but a lot of it, the good chunk of it's military. 
so you can't really access it. But a lot of these disappearances and crashes seem to be happening around mountainous areas. The microclimates in California are crazy. Weather can spring up super fast. You hear about these people that are hiking in Yosemite and it's clear skies and then like 20, 30 minutes later, they're getting struck by lightning. Yep. It's not uncommon that these people probably hit nasty ass weather crossing over these mountains going either to and from Nevada to California. And before we move on, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Shasta Mountain in California. Yeah, the volcano. Yeah, so it's kind of this weird geological spot. It's said that it has a portal. Thinking along those lines, is it possible that maybe within the Sierra Nevada mountain range, there's maybe some geological portal there? Maybe an electromagnetic field that's throwing stuff off, something that exists that the Earth itself is pulsing out that's causing these issues. I think magnetic anomalies could definitely have something to do with it could but it makes me wonder at what frequency right so over the past 60 years if we were to blame all of that on electromagnetic disruption so to speak from this portal where is that line would you think 2000 is a is like a right number for that sort of thing or would it be more would it be less I think it would all really depend. You'd really have to look into also altitude because there's commercial airliners that fly over the Sierra Nevada all the time, Yeah, probably hundreds of times a day. How high up does that effect go? You would think if it's magnetics, it would go all the way through the atmosphere, all the way through. It might not. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. It depends on where the source is. Also, you're talking about a huge difference of altitude in itself because commercial airliners are probably up around between 35 and 50, depending on how they're flying. And then a lot of these jets and these military planes, they're flying a lot lower because they're doing training exercises or whatever it may be. Sick-ass barrel rolls. They're more apt to be affected by these things than commercial airliners. Otherwise, yeah. that number would probably be a lot, way, way higher. A lot yeah. higher. Then it'd be a no-fly zone anywhere. We can't figure this out. Nobody's going over here. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I mean, it's a conspiracy show. It's all aliens, anyways. Could be. Well, let's move out of the desert and go into the cold, frigid waters of the Alaska Triangle. Alaska is bound by thirty-three thousand miles of coastline. I would love to go to Alaska. Me too. For sure. It contains more than 3 million lakes and untamed wildlife. This massive triangle borders begin at Barrow in the far north, Anchorage in the south, and extend to Juneau in the southeast. Then back up to Barrow again, and includes vast areas of largely unexplored wilderness of sprawling forests, icy mountain peaks, glaciers, and desolate tundras. Have you ever watched Ice Road Truckers? <laughs> oh my god. All the time. It's the only show I watch. Yeah. 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 Ice road truckers and swamp people. <laughs> that's that's it. Just real quick, I think it's really interesting that Anchorage happens to be in this triangle or on its borders, right? Because I'm sure you guys are aware there's tons and tons and tons of UFO sightings over Anchorage, Alaska. Yep. Anchorage is a hot spot. With that being said, Alaska is clearly not the safest place in the world. Every year, between 500 to 2,000 people go missing in Alaska, and out of the hundreds of search and rescue missions conducted every year, there is rarely any trace of bodies, dead or alive. Well, yeah, they got eaten. For sure. Bears. By Eskimos? Fucking bears. Bears. Wolves. 
bears? Oh, wolves, man. I would love to be eaten alive by wolves. Why, why do you say this shit? Say what? That you'd love to be eaten alive by wolves? Is that what you're talking about, Frog? Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be painful. <laughs> this is such an interesting experience. What a way to go, yeah. right? You want to go in your sleep when you're fucking 90, or you want to be eaten by wolves? Mike's just sitting there casually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take my calf. You can have it. He's just like, <laughs> just ripping his Taking pictures calf on my up. phone and fucking emailing them to my son. Selfies and your fucking. <laughs> Facebook Live! <laughs> As it's disemboweling you, you're just in absolute awe. So you go to try to pet it and it just tears your whole arm off. I've never felt the sensation of my belly being so cold. Guys, if, you, if you've never been to Alaska, now's the time to go. <laughs> This is a great experience. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Would recommend. <laughs> Would recommend being eaten alive by wolves. Yeah. This triangle is thought to contain mysterious creatures and cryptids hidden in the Alaskan bush. The phenomenon may either be sightings of UFOs, Bigfoot, or as far as a plane being swallowed up into a vortex. Mm. Have you heard about that one? A guy just opens up and he sees the swirling clouds and he's like, oh God, and he goes right into it. Dude, vortexes are crazy. That's what I think happened to that other guy in the Nevada Triangle. How do you be gone for 54 days? I'm still thinking about that. Didn't they, didn't they ask him questions? Hey, bro, where the fuck have you been with where this jet? Where were you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's the jet? Where's the jet? What would be even more amazing is if, even if he didn't get abducted or get sucked into a vortex, right? If he actually crash landed and survived out there for 54 days, do you know how harsh that environment is? That's gotta be the narrative. It didn't say whether he crashed or not, right? Said he disappeared. It just said he disappeared. Yeah, but I doubt he came back with the plane. Did he come back 54 days later and just land on the landing strip and be like, hey guys, I'm back? It says he <laughs> reappeared. Yeah. Yeah, see, it doesn't say whether or not he reappeared with the jet or not. There's also the Japanese pilot we spoke of earlier in the episode. He said something before his radio cut off as I see something in the sky opening up. Interesting shit, man. The Alaskan Triangle first received widespread attention when U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs' airplane vanished somewhere between Anchorage and Juneau in 1972. This disappearance triggered one of the country's largest ever search and rescue operations, involving 40 military aircraft, 50 civilian planes, and 39 days of searching in an area of 32,000 square miles. Yet the search yielded not a shred of results. No wreckage, no debris, no human remains, nothing. But what it did yield is a job opening in the house. <laughs> What a productive search. <laughs> Hushlings, we will return after these brief messages. Good morning, hush puppies. The majority of what we see and read in the news is now controlled by mega corporations. But who owns these said corporations that produce our news? BlackRock is the largest, with over $11 trillion in assets. Owning a stake in Vanguard, Fox, Disney, ABC, CNN, Comcast, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, Sky News, and Sinclair, which controls more than 70% of local U.S. television. Even investing in two major Chinese companies on the blacklist. The Obama administration chose BlackRock to clean up after the 2008 financial meltdown by purchasing toxic assets that the Fed was not legally permitted to purchase. Is this massive organization causing our country 
country to devolve into a strange kind of financial oligarchy? Larry Fink and his executives were the ones who proposed the economic reset back in 2019. But it did not take effect until March 2020. Did COVID-19 create the ideal opportunity to seize control of all media and major investment firms? Grab your calculators and pocket protectors and join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Monday, April 25th for Debriefing 47 where we audit BlackRock Asset Management. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. That wasn't the only aircraft to be lost either. Back in the golden age of 1950, a military craft with 44 passengers had disappeared without a trace, as well as a Cessna 340 carrying a pilot and four passengers vanished in the 90s, never to be heard from again. Since 1988, more than 16,000 people have vanished in the Alaskan Triangle. Jesus. Yeah, dude, this is even crazier. This contributes to the annual filing of roughly four missing persons report for every 1,000 people in Alaska, more than twice the national average. Shit. I wonder how many of those people are just tourists or visitors. Just got lost. I was wondering the same thing because Alaska's population is already really, really low as it is. So if those were all like native Alaskans, like they live there, that's an astonishing number. But if not, I mean, I guess it's less. You just can't underestimate the stupidity of humans. Yeah. So when you go to Alaska and they're like, just go up the mountain here, make sure you stay on the path. 90% of people don't listen to that because they want to take a picture with a fucking bear. (laughs) (laughs) And they go off the path and they go, oh, the big brown bear. Look at him. He is so happy. He's got his little cub over there. Let's go pet the cub. And then they walk up and they're fucking torn up and their family is ravaged and dragged away. And there you go. Four more on the list. Those Kodiak grizzly bears. Those things are fucking massive. These disappearances have been attributed to everything from the terrain, severe weather, aliens, swirling energy vortexes, and an evil shape-shifting demon known as Kushtaka in Tinklet Indian lore. However, the most likely explanation for the large number of missing people is the wilderness itself, like we said. Not to mention, massive blizzards. Oh, yeah, you're under that snow. That's it. You're gone. You're yeah. gone. Especially in whiteout conditions. That's like huge red flag right there. There's also snow blindness to account for if you're in those types of conditions, too. Even if it's sunny, you could just be completely lost. Your snowshoes fell off. Run out of hot chocolate. Yeah, all your friends are already gone. You <laughs> ate one of them. Electronic readings in Alaska have revealed high concentrations of magnetic anomalies some of which have thrown compasses off by up to 30 degrees. Some search and rescue personnel have reported auditory hallucinations, disorientation, as well as lightheadedness. Ooh. I was thinking about people hiking up to Mount Everest and they deal with a lot of that stuff with the auditory hallucinations and feeling very disoriented. Mm-hmm. And Well, that's from lack of oxygen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not the magnetic throwing your compass off type weird stuff. Well, we talked about that also with the Diet Loft Pass incident. Mm-hmm. Parallels are there with all that snow and cold and altitude. Who knows? Only those people know. Well, they don't know anymore. Energy vortexes exist within the triangle. Energy vortexes are thought to be swirling centers of concentrated energy in specific locations where the energy radiates most intensely. We, of course, mentioned Bigfoot and other cryptids, and could they make it into our dimension through said portals? 
Could they be opening and closing and accidentally taking planes and humans with them? That's an interesting thought. I was thinking that. And there's a lot of Bigfoot sightings in Alaska, obviously. Yep. Yeah. And in the Sierra Nevadas, I'm sure that there's Sasquatch sightings. They're just popping in and out by accident. The portals are opening up with them, but they accidentally, a Cessna is flying in the area that that portal opens up and boop, gone. <laughs> you know, it would be an interesting thing to look up if we ever had time and the want or need to do that would to look at places and times of other cryptid sightings and how they relate to airplane crashes in the area around the same time. Hmm. Yeah. Or just disappearances in general. Just disappearances in general, yeah, anything like that. Let's say the Mothman sighting you know, in West Virginia. Is it possible that during one of those sightings, oh, a plane went down or family goes missing? You know, that'd be an interesting correlation. That would also really dig down into what we're talking about now. Portals. When we talked about Skinwalker Ranch, we should take a look and see if there was any missing persons concentration in that area. Really, any of these paranormal sites or cryptid sites. Yeah could point to something like that. That'd be such an interesting uh, thing. Maybe we could write a book. Hushlings, do some research. Send us some emails. <laughs> do all our research for us so we can write a book. The energy radiates in a spiraling cone shape in either a clockwise or counterclockwise direction, causing both positive and negative effects. Positive vortexes spiral upward in a clockwise motion, creating an enhancing flow of energy. Places like these are the pyramids in Egypt or Stonehenge. While negative vortexes spiral downward in a counterclockwise motion, creating draining or depleting energy. These are seen in areas like the triangles we speak of today. They are thought to have a variety of physical, mental, and emotional effects on humans. So are we talking about what Goldberg was talking about? Even portals and vortexes can have the same effect of where you're at on a plane if you're in the upper or lower part. It's all energy. So it's not unreasonable to think that in the Alaskan Triangle, vanishing into thin air really just means buried by nature or eaten by wolves. Potato, potato. That was perfect. I can't believe you just fucking did that. Boys, let's get into the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, if you didn't know, that's where we're headed. <laughs> yeah, no. You just had I, to I, sing I, us in. Grab your coconut-filled cocktail and put your feet up. By the way, Hushlings, if you didn't know, I was singing Kokomo by the Beach Boys. <sighs> oh the Bermuda Triangle covers about 500,000 square miles, sometimes even mentioned 1.5 million square miles of ocean off the southern tip of Florida. In 1964, Vincent Gaddis defined the boundaries of the triangle, giving its vertices as Miami, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Bermuda. While others give different boundaries and vertices to the triangle, some even stretch it as far as the Irish coast. So we don't really have like a defined triangle here. You do, because you go by Miami, San Juan, and then Bermuda. I sailed right through the Bermuda Triangle when I went on vacation. Yeah, and now look at you. You're in a simulation. Now look now at I'm you. Now I'm in a simulation. 
my mom claims that when she was going through the Bermuda Triangle on a boat to Bermuda in the 80s, when they said they got into the Bermuda Triangle, it was like dead calm. Very strange. Yeah, and I don't know why she would bullshit about that. But they've always mentioned that. And my uncle was on the trip with them and he had said the same thing, that it was like glass. The ocean was like glass. That is weird. No wind, nothing. What credentials does Vincent Gaddis have to be able to say, this is the Bermuda Triangle, I say where it is, and I draw the lines? He was an author. No, good point, yeah. He invented the phrase of Bermuda Triangle. When that bastard Christopher Columbus sailed through the area on his first voyage to the New World, he reported that a great flame of fire crashed into the sea one night and that a strange light appeared in the distance a few weeks later. He also wrote about erratic compass readings, and since then, there have been many shipwrecks and aviation disappearances. That's an interesting account with the Great Flame. Well, UFO sighting, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what else is an interesting account? Christopher Columbus claiming that he fucking found America, piece of shit, rapist, pillaging. Can we really take this guy's word? Think about it. At least two incidents involving U.S. military aircraft occurred in the region. The USS Cyclops departing from Rio de Janeiro on February 16th to Baltimore, Maryland, vanished inside the Bermuda Triangle somewhere between Barbados and the Chesapeake Bay. On the 10th of March, the day after, Cyclops was rumored to have been sighted. A violent storm swept through the Virginia Capes area. Some theorize that the combination of the overloaded condition, engine trouble, and the bad weather may have conspired to sink the Cyclops. They conspired it all together. That weather and engine, they all got together and they were like, you know what, we're going to sink this fucker. <laughs> yeah. Interesting fact, before this happened, two of Cyclops' sister ships, Proteus and Nereus, vanished at sea during World War II, and both ships were transporting heavy loads of metallic ore rocks. Now, metallic ore, magnetic. Yep. Not all metallic ore is magnetic, though. There was no explanation given for its disappearance, and no wreckage was ever discovered. The most famous of all these cases was the squadron of five Navy bombers carrying 14 men, which took off from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in December 1945, to practice bombing runs over nearby shoals. It was led by American Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, and vanished in the airspace above the Bermuda Triangle. Hmm. This is commonly known as Flight 19. Following the incident, a 500-page Navy Board of Investigation report published a few months later made several observations. Lieutenant Taylor, the flight leader, had mistakenly believed that the small islands he passed over were the Florida Keys, that he was flying over the Gulf of Mexico, and that heading northeast would take them to Florida. They were back and forth, back and forth going back on transmissions, just completely lost. It's very, very strange. They did find these planes. I think they did locate these planes under the water, probably within the last 20 years or so, something like that. Taylor seemed to have flown over the Bahamas as planned, but unfortunately, he led his flight to the northeast over the Atlantic and not over the Keys, like he thought. Mistaken islands. According to the report, some subordinate officers were likely aware of their approximate location. There is evidence by radio transmissions indicating that flying west would result in reaching the mainland. So they told them to go west. That's like I said, this one goes back and forth. You can actually listen to the radio transmissions of them talking to their flight controllers and then the pilots. And they definitely started to get pretty panicked because they had no idea where they were. 
It was suggested that Taylor was not at fault because the compasses had stopped working, and on the same day, a rescue plane and its 13-man crew vanished. The official Navy report declared that it was as if they had flown to Mars. After a massive weeks-long search yielded no evidence and no wreckage was discovered. Nonetheless, there are theories. Some blame magnetic anomalies, as we've talked about prior in some of the other triangles. The Bermuda Triangle is one of the places on Earth where compasses point toward the true north, instead of pointing to the magnetic north, which suggests that this phenomenon is why some captains and pilots report about compasses not working properly and going in the wrong direction. There are also water spouts, water tornadoes, reefs, storms like thunderstorms and hurricanes, huge eruptions of methane gas from the ocean floor, mm, like we discussed earlier, or vortexes, also like we discussed earlier, which could be known as portals or wormholes. Some blame the UFOs, but there is one that's not well known, and it's more of a weather anomaly, and it's air bombs, baby. Atmospheric farts. Big ones. According to the Science Channel's What on Earth, hexagonal-shaped clouds seen on satellite imagery are being covered by the oddly-shaped clouds, which range in size from 20 to 55 miles across. Hexagonal-shaped clouds? Yeah. Yes. Are we sure we're not talking about UFOs-shaped like clouds? Oh, giant, giant motherships, cloaked motherships. These people can make the clouds whatever shape or size they want, man. It's true. The government shapes clouds all the time. You think you're seeing a horse out there? That's not it's, a horse. It's the government. It's the government. <laughs> government's telling you what your creative mind is seeing. <laughs> That's not a horse. That's the government. Catch us on our next debriefing when we talk about the government shaping clouds <laughs> to program your creativity. <laughs> I feel like drawing a bunny rabbit today because I saw it in the sky. <laughs> the elites are putting ideas into your children's head. They're implanting these thoughts into your kids' heads disguised as horse-shaped clouds. <laughs> You're taking your daughter up the hill. You guys are going to lay there, look at the clouds, say, hey, what's that cloud look like? All of a sudden, you're looking at gay frogs. <laughs> now your kid hates America. God damn it, Disney. <laughs> these types of hexagonal shapes over the ocean are essentially air bombs. Arizona State University's Dr. Randy Cerveni told Science Channel, quote, They are formed by what is known as microbursts. They're blasts of air that come down from the clouds' bottoms and hit the ocean, causing waves that can sometimes be massive in size once they start interacting with each other. That was a spicy science quote. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. Cloud there. bottoms. <laughs> come on, baby, show me your cloud bottom. These air bombs generate winds up to 170 miles per hour, which is more than enough to knock an airplane right out of the sky or create waves large enough to capsize a whole ship. Have you guys ever been in a microburst? How would you know if you were? Okay, so I definitely was in a microburst once in Connecticut. It's essentially a funnel of air that comes down, but there's no actual formed funnel like a tornado. I was outside one day, definitely a thunderstorm coming, but all of a sudden for like four minutes, it was hurricane force winds and hail. It went from no wind to like 80 mile an hour. And I remember washing my car. So it definitely felt like that was probably a microburst because it felt like a tornado, but there was no tornado. <laughs> Massive storm going on and Dave is outside wiping down his car. <laughs> You know, I get stuck in really shitty storms, so it, it happens, you know. The U.S. Coast Guard says, quote, In a review of many aircraft and vessel losses in the area over the years, there has been nothing 
discovered that would indicate that casualties were the result of anything other than physical causes. No extraordinary factors have ever been identified. So it's definitely fucking aliens because they lie all the fucking time to cover their asses. Could be. But before we enter the last part of our journey, here are some major losses within the Bermuda Triangle, though the exact number is unknown. At least 50 ships and 20 airplanes have disappeared. Some examples of lost sea vessels. On October 11th, 1492, Christopher Columbus and the crew of Santa Maria reported seeing unknown lights one day before the landing at Guanahani. In September of 1800, the Newburyport born USS Pickering was on course from Guadalupe to Delaware and was lost with 90 people on board. Ah yes, the USS Puckering. Such a shame. Last seen on October 9th in 1814 in Rio de Janeiro, the USS Wasp was lost in the Caribbean with 140 people on board. The USS Wildcat was on course from Cuba to Tompkins Island. She sank and all of her 31 crew were drowned. In 2015, in July, two 14-year-old boys, Austin Stefanos and Perry Cohen, went on a fishing trip in their 19-foot boat. Despite the 15,000-square nautical-mile-wide search by the Coast Guard, the pair's boat was found a year later off the coast of Bermuda, yet the boys were never seen again. Ghost boat. First of all, let's take a moment here. Why were two 14-year-old boys on a 19-foot boat by themselves in the middle of the fucking ocean? And if it was like in the 40s, sure, whatever, nobody cared. But it's like 2015. That's not that long ago. On October 1st, 2015, the SS El Faro sank off the coast of the Bahamas within the Triangle after sailing into Hurricane Joaquin. Search crews identified the vessel 15,000 feet below the surface. All 33 were lost. This was a container ship that sailed into a fucking hurricane. Why? Realistically, a lot of these ships, especially the transatlantic trips that are made by ships, container ships and such, they go through that shit all the time. They go through storms and shitty water and shitty conditions all the time. But the ships are so massive that they're not really affected by it. If a container ship was heading into a hurricane, it's kind of a regular day for them. Yeah, I kind of remember how this one played out, though. I think they were going to go. They tried to beat the storm, and the storm beat them. Next, we have some aircraft losses. On July 3rd of 1947, a Douglas C-54 crashed off the Florida coast after the pilot lost control and turbulence within a thunderstorm. Six people perished. We also have the BSAA Star Tiger, which was lost with a total of 31 crew members and passengers missing, en route to Santa Maria Airport and the Azores to Kindly Field in Bermuda. Uh, see, that's a transatlantic flight. Later that year, on December 29th, a Douglas DC-3 lost with three crew and 28 passengers en route from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Miami, Florida. On April 10th, 2007, a Piper PA-46 disappeared near Bird K after flying into a level 6 thunderstorm and losing altitude. Two fatalities were listed. Level 6 thunderstorm. I wonder what that is. I didn't know that there was levels of thunderstorms. Really loud. And, and a PA-46 is like a Cessna-sized plane. Very small. Why you were flying into a thunderstorm is probably yeah. why yeah. you lost altitude and died. 
Interesting. On February 23rd, 2017, the Turkish Airlines flight, TK-183, was forced to change its direction from Havana, Cuba to Washington Dulles International Airport after some mechanical and electrical problems occurred over the triangle. Also that year, during the afternoon of May 15th, a private Mitsubishi Mu-2B aircraft was at 24,000 feet when it vanished from radar and radio contact. Plane wreckage was found this time. There is the idea of vile vortices, and all of which have naturally occurring anomalies due to the planet's natural electromagnetic fields being stronger in these parts than anywhere else in the world. Vile vortices are supposed to be spread equally in 12 parts across the Tropic of Cancer, the Tropic of Capricorn, and include the North and South Pole. One example is the South Atlantic Anomaly, also the megaliths of Zimbabwe, and ironically, the South Atlantic Anomaly stretches from Chile to Zimbabwe, and it sits at the point where the inner Van Allen radiation belt comes closest to the Earth's surface. Here the Earth's magnetic field is particularly weak. Let's not forget there are quite a few more of these triangle areas that we didn't talk about, but deserve an honorable mention. Mike, you mentioned earlier about areas where there's major cryptid sightings. Mm -hmm. Now, Massachusetts is a big UFO hotspot. There is the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts. It was also the first UFO sighting to happen in this area in 1760. There's also mentions of people seeing Sasquatch-type creatures or Thunderbirds in the Native American population. There's also the Bennington Triangle, which is in remote Vermont. Most of it settles in a town where there's eight people that live there as of 2010. So, <laughs> Little triangle. We also talked about Hudson Valley, too. Was that a triangle area, or was that just a hot spot? Just a hot spot. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think that there was any triangle aspect to that. The Michigan Triangle, which had one of the worst air disasters in United States history, the Northwest Orient Flight 2501, which went down with 58 fatalities, as well as the Matlock Triangle in Britain, which is known as the UFO capital of the world. Gentlemen, we are pulling into calmer seas, which allows us to reflect and think. I would like to know your final thoughts on all of these triangle anomalies. David, tell me about your thoughts. Well, the four that we mentioned, I'd say, are probably the larger ones. And all of them are extremely similar. People go missing, planes go missing, or boats go missing. My take on it, I think we're dealing with an area of energy and magnetics that's in a large proximity. Or just weather, the ocean disappearances. Definitely, I would say, probably more weather. Because like you said earlier, many flights cruise at 30 plus thousand feet and they don't have any issues flying over these areas. Weather or portals, two big things. That's where I'm at with these. I look at a lot of these accounts, and I think that many of them have to do with weather. If you look at a lot of the older accounts, I would say a lot of that just has to do with maybe technology and how boats were built, just the overwhelming power of the sea. With these newer ones, electromagnetic anomalies are very interesting, especially when you're looking at the Sierra Nevada mountains there. When you're looking at a lot of these land anomalies, for me, are more interesting than the sea anomalies. When you have missing pilots that have gone away for two months, when you have planes that are just going down for no apparent reason, specifically in these areas, that's very interesting to me. But for the ocean, I would say a lot of them definitely are just the power of the sea. With the land masses, I am also in the vein of thinking about vortexes. Like I had mentioned earlier with Shasta Mountain being a vortex, and there's a lot of other areas that are claimed vortexes. That type of energy and that type of power 
could easily account for a lot of these crashes and these accidents and these missing things. When it comes to Alaska, I am still sticking by my original thought that people are very stupid and they go off path all the time to take pictures with grizzlies that carry them back to caves and consume their flesh. So that's my thought <laughs> on all of that. Real quick, like you said, one thing is that all four of these areas are centered in major either volcanic or tectonic areas. A couple of them essentially are on the ring of fire. Two of them directly, one of them in California being a little bit inland. But remember in Bermuda, there is a massive earthquake fault in the Caribbean. Could these processes of geology be causing or adding more or resonating effect to these magnetic anomalies? Or that's one question that I've been thinking this whole time. Slick Frank Sanders, give us your thoughts on these wild shapes. Frank's final thought. Obtusa Q, isosceles. <laughs> I totally agree with you that I'm a little bit more interested in the land triangles. I feel like they're a little bit harder to write off as just weather. When I was much younger, I was like obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle. I thought it was like the coolest weirdest thing in the world a lot of these explanations for me particularly for the sea triangles don't really do it except for the microbursts the microbursts are the only one that i'm picking up on that's like a natural cause that has the capability to take out not only boats but planes as well because that's kind of the oddball it's like all right well if if the ocean's taking out the boats what's doing it for the planes so i, I like the microburst idea if we're gonna go with a natural cause with the nevada triangle i just don't know you could write that off as pilots just smacking into mountains and running out of fuel but i don't know i'm a little bit more confused on the land triangles they're a little bit harder for me i'm just gonna leave it a little bit open i'm gonna say when you acknowledge that you know nothing everything and anything is possible and it definitely could be some crazy vortexes some interdimensional portal type stuff especially when you have somebody disappearing for two months with basically no explanation i i feel like that would be a reasonable thing to have had happened well, Hushlings, luckily we survived our journey that took us around the world. Was there anything that we missed? Was there anything that we should have discussed? Did we not know how to read the compass the correct way? Did our lifeboats not inflate? Let us know. Reach out to us at our email. You can hit us up at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Tune in for Debriefing 47 for some number crunching where we audit BlackRock Asset Management. That will be streaming everywhere Monday, April 25th. Ooh, that's mm. a good one. It's going to be juicy. We should all wear suits. Another exclusive debriefing will also be available on Thursday, April 21st when we strap on some PPE and some gloves and investigate the alien encounter of Jonathan Reed only on Patreon. And of course, one last thing, Hushlings, we want to remind you, especially at this halfway point of the season, to tune in on June 6th for our 50th debriefing and fifth live show, big number five, where we delve into transhumanism and we also infiltrate the Yellow Sand Society. We'll do a recap of season five, do a little trivia as always, and giveaways. T-shirts, mugs, stickers, left titties. We're giving them all away. I think we're going to try to make this one more of a party. Like Mystery Mike said, that's Monday, June 6th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Keep your eyes peeled for more details. Thank you again for attending another debriefing of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. 
I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sick Frog Sanders. The plane's going down! Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.